Welcome to the Gym Session, brought to you by Sportsmate Mobile and Footy Live. It's time to chat all things football with your host, Jimmy Sabo. Hey guys, welcome to the interview edition of the Gym Session. This week's guest is Hawthorne Premiership hero Josh Gibson, and it's brought to you by Sportsmate Mobile, TLA, and the Footy Live app. Download that Footy Live app today, and also, if you're enjoying the podcast, give it a five-star rating and get involved by using the hashtag The Gym Session on Twitter and Instagram, or you could send me an email at james.sabo at sportsmatemobile.com. If you're not enjoying it, there's obviously something wrong with you. So get well soon, but you can still get involved anyway. I will read all of your emails, but I'm sure you'll love this interview. We chat about Josh's journey to the AFL, being stuck on the toilet in his first game of footy, the time Clarko told him to fit in or F off, what song he and Buddy used to listen to together, plus a heap, heap more. Uh, sit back and open your ears. Here it is. Here's Gibson, the defender. Is he a goal kicker? He can do it. Okay, today's guest is one of the most talented, driven, and best-looking defenders the footy world has ever seen. Through hard work, resilience, and a golden left fist, this man went from being overlooked in the draft to a three-time premiership player, two-time best and fairest winner, and an All-Australian respected by the entire footy community. Post his 225-game career at the Roos and Hawks, he's continued to grace our screens through media work, reality TV appearances, and entrepreneurial pursuits. With his love of being around people, motivating and helping others achieve their goals, he has continued to make an impact on the community well after hanging up the boots. It's my great pleasure to welcome the one and only Mr. Josh Gibson to the podcast. Welcome, Josh. Thanks, mate. That was a, uh, I don't think anyone said such nice things about me. Ever, mate. You can, you, we can hang out together anytime. <laughs> Brilliant. And I just had one of those beers that you just sipped on as well, mate. Is it knockoff <laughs> time there for, for Josh Gibson? It is. I'm having a, uh, it's a pure blonde organic cider this afternoon, mate. So. Brilliant. Low carb. Carbs do, I think. Perfect lead into footy training tonight. <laughs> nice one. I was going to say, mate, you're a busy man. How do you, you've probably had more, more jobs than the amount of haircuts you had during your career. How do you keep up with everything? And also expecting a little one in September. How's life uh, been, mate? Yeah, mate, it's a, uh, it's a juggle. Um, definitely of late, I've really just had to slow the pace down um, and focus on delegating some things and, and leaving some things to my business partners to do. So as you said, Baby on the way. Um, we're trying to get get a renovation and a house finished at the same time. So everything's a disaster right now, mate. But as I like to say, organised chaos. So yeah. where we're at. <laughs> That's all right. What about the uh, Revel training? Because that was that was going on, and then lockdown kind of stopped mm. it. And how's that travelling at the moment? No, look, it's going well. We've uh, where are we now? We're in Melbourne. Uh, three studios in Sydney, one in Adelaide, uh, sunny coast. Where else are we? I think that's about it. We've got a few more opening. Obviously, the one's opening has been tough. Um, with COVID in and out, uh, you know, you've obviously from a business standpoint, it's tough being in the gym industry, but, you know, you feel for members and that as well. It's um, yeah. it's very um, interesting society we live in where, you know, we promote drinking and, and having bottle shops open, but people can't go and exercise, which is, which is great for your mental health. So um, tough from that standpoint, but... It's a great business. Uh, we've got some fantastic business partners that are really leading the charge now in that. Uh, it's one of the things I've tried to step back from. Um, but, no, going strong and, and you know, fitness has been such a big part of, you know, my previous career that love to be involved in that and, and you know, love 
the gym situation, group training, where you can motivate people and, and help them strive to, to reach the goals that they're trying to achieve. Yeah, I've loved the look of it too, and I've heard great things as well. So when you can get back to the gym, I encourage everyone to go to Revel Training, definitely, and look on Josh Gibson's Instagram. He's got all his brands there. There's hundreds of them. It, everyone wants a piece of Joshy, but you get involved. Um, you're you're in Dale, or what is it, Ballarat? It's it's Creswick, isn't it? So it's near yeah. Ballarat, and out there you enjoy your horses and and uh, getting out in the fresh air. It's it's a bit different to you growing up. You grew up in the eastern suburbs, um, and back then I think you're into your fashion as well because. I think you would have been a professional squash player if your mum didn't want you to wear the goggles. You weren't a fan of them and you said, nah, I'm changing sports. Is that right? <laughs> That's true, mate. You've done your research. So, look, uh, growing up in Box Hill, uh, we used to have Wattle Park Squash Club, which was down the road just on Station Street near Kingswood College. Um, and the uh, the owner's son was, was in my year level at, at Box Hill South when I went to primary school. Later, it's now changed to Roberts McCubbin Primary and that was the big craze then. We all played squash. We loved it. Um, I remember, what was it? It must have been around the 90, was it 91 grand final at Waverley? Yep, yep. I think I remember watching that in the squash courts there. So, yep. um, yeah, that was a sport played as a junior and loved it. Um, but you were correct. Mum wanted me to wear the safety goggles. Um, <laughs> and I didn't think that they were the most attractive uh, apparatus to be putting on. So, I uh, pulled the pin and, and started joining uh, Vic Kick it was back then because obviously yeah. Oz Kick was only in Victoria Vic Kick mm-hmm. um, and, and really that was where the footy journey started. Yeah, brilliant. Also, before we get to the footy, cricket as well, big cricket lover and obviously your parents, West Indian, um, your dad's from Barbados. Now, is it true when, when the West Indies came down here in the 90s, you got to spend a lot of time of, with some players like Brian Lara, Kirtley Ambrose, Richie Richardson? How was that? Yeah, like it was it was very lucky. I think back then, you know, it was all sports. It was a bit more relaxed. Um, you know, your interaction, you know, from from fans to all spectators to the players was a lot closer. And yeah. um, there was a great West Indian community, especially in Melbourne, and lucky enough to spend a lot of time um with them growing up. You know, I've got photos of myself, Malcolm Marshall, and um, you know, fond memories of bowling to the guys in the nets there at the MCG during boxing day tests and um, being in the huddle with them when they beat Australia in a day-night final. And, you know, I've got match balls signed from Kirtley Richardson, uh, uh, Richie Richardson, sorry, Kirtley Ambrose and and, um, and a lot of Lara's um, uniform for the matches. So it, was, uh, it used to be pretty cool when you'd pick up the phone at home and you'd have Brian Lara calling you on the other end. Yeah. But yeah, it's a bit different these days with the yeah. access you get to sports people. But no, I was very lucky to grow up in that era. Yeah, have you followed up with him? Have you ever called um, Brian Lara, see how he's going? No, nah, I'm not that much of a groupie, mate. So I just, <laughs> just let them do their own thing. Yeah, Probably you think, who the heck are you, mate? Leave me alone. <laughs> I'm sure they would remember you, mate. Hey, um, you mentioned you did Vic Kick and you, you obviously went and played for the East Burwood Rams. Um, now, two big moments stand out to me from your junior career. Obviously, one of them, I think it was your 50th game. You run out there to your banner and it split open before you got a chance to run through it. Uh, the second one, under 15's grand final, you wore the number... The, 25 big number 25 and a and a commentator goes oh he rode his opponent like a train you took a big specky and you won the game under 15's grand final what moments do you remember when talking about junior footy no i think you've, you've summed it up there mate um <laughs> you know the the 50 games where you got the banner made out of the old tissue paper um the east Burwood rams we were 
and uh, running through it, ripped beforehand, it would have been the perfect almost footy legends send in. <laughs> but, you know, they're the fun ones. So I remember that you, you got your game videoed, you know, when you're um, – when you played your 50th. So that was a great memory. And, and then, as you said, the uh, under-15s finals where we, uh, you know, you get a commentator to call the game of footy. And you know, I was pretty heavy back then. So I think he said, Brody's bloke like a train. I rode the poor kid into the ground. I went, <laughs> Gibson. Ah, Brody's a pint like a train. I took it down. So, uh, look, it was, um, they're, they're the, you know, when you look back on your footy career and where it started and, they're the uh, some of the memories that you know you hold dear to your heart because you understand that's where it, where it all came from your, your passion for the game and you know there were the times obviously I was pretty lucky to have success at Hawthorne but you know they're the times when you really just play footy and it's free and there's no stress um, it's literally just having a kick with mates. Yeah, I think your parents made that banner too, didn't they? What was the reaction after that happened? Yeah, no, that was the last time they got to make anything for you related <laughs> to me, mate. So if they if they tried to uh, apply for the Hawthorne or North Melbourne cheer squad, I would have been making sure that they uh, weren't allowed in there and <laughs> making skills. Uh, fair enough too. You mentioned you're a little bit heavy uh, back then. Even I think you said when you were near 12, it was around 95 kilos. Fitness wasn't the biggest thing for you. You also got overlooked in the draft. Uh, you were playing with the Chargers. I think you got a preseason at Richmond. You got an opportunity there and then North. Um, and the hard work finally paid off because you, you concentrated on your fitness, didn't you, to, to try and um, get picked up. I think it was when you were 22, you, you finally got the, uh, the contract. Yeah, so I had when was I? I was I was young for year twelve. Um, so when I was in year twelve, I was seventeen year old and um, got invited to the state screening that year um, and was in the draft and missed out. And then under 18s, um, I had a full year of under eighteens, obviously post post school schooling, um, and missed out again then. And uh, it was sort of just during that stage the next year or so that I thought I'd better start, you know, upping the uh, the fitness a bit because I, I did a pre-season with Richmond at the end of that um, Oakley Chargers year. And, uh, yeah, got the got the full-time PT. Um, I was playing at Port Melbourne. I had a pretty bad first year with a lot of injuries. I only played one game. Um, but then lucky enough in my second year there uh, to have a pretty good season and, and finally get get rookie listed by North, which was, you know, it was a good reward for, I guess, the uh, work I put in because, you know, I sort of put it out there on the line and, you know, the old balls on the line, I guess you can say. And I uh, yeah. thought, well, you know, you get this fitness, uh, this PT and, and you do the work and then if you don't get drafted, well, you've got no more excuses. You know, it was always pretty easy when you had the crutch of saying, oh, if I was fitter, you know. Mm-hmm. But uh, once you uh, you had no more crutch to stand on, so... Glad that it all worked out. It was uh, it was just a justification for the the work that I decided to put in. Definitely, I think you were at the servo when when you got the call and punt road at the shell there. Do you remember the first person you called after you were told uh, that you you finally got the contract? No, it would have been uh, dad was away, but it was mum. You're right. I was at the shell pet servo there on uh, punt road just before you get down to Big Street. That one on the left hand side, that little one. Um, it was a Tuesday because we just I just I was training with North Melbourne at the time, so we just finished a session in the city, and um, it was a nice, great phone call to get from Neville Stibbard. Um, called my parents, and yeah, very very proud moment. Um, a bit different to some of the guys sitting around the TVs with their parents and family and, and friends watching their name get called out, but nonetheless, I uh, I managed to get my foot in in the door and, and knew that you know that was 
getting drafted is probably the easiest part, but um, yeah, happy that I got there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so obviously after that contract, you get down to North um, and you start making a name for yourself, even from the first game. So you, your first game you played against Port, I think it was round one, 2006. You got a win. Um, Three-quarter time, though, can you tell me what happened? You had to go down to the bathroom, didn't you? That's right. So <laughs> I was having a pretty good game. Um, and, you know, three-quarter time, I just got the urge to go to the toilet. Um, you know, not just this was needing to sit on the toilet. So... <laughs> Quickly ran down the race there at, at um, oh, I can't remember what it is. It's, well, what they used to call Adelaide? Bloody Park. Yeah, yeah, Amy Stadium. That's right, Amy Stadium. Yep. Um, and, you know, I had to run down the race there. And, you know, obviously when you wanted to go faster, it never seems to go faster, come out faster. <laughs> and and um, as I was sitting there, I hear the siren go and I was, you know, starting to shit myself. Uh, <laughs> Pardon the pun. Um, <laughs> Literally. Thinking, exactly, thinking, oh, my God, this is my first game. You know, what's Dean Lady going to be thinking? He's finally giving me a game and I'm yeah. just on, in on the toilet. So <laughs> I got back out yeah. there, always forgiven. Uh, we won the game and definitely left me with a memory. The last yeah, yeah. My first day of game. Perfect. Uh, what's the memory like of your first goal for North Figures? I think you ran off John O'Brown, you kicked a goal and he, and he said he'd smack you in the face if you ever did it again. That's right. We're um, this was when we were playing games at um, it was called Carrara then in the Gold Coast, and you know we were looking at moving up there. It was a, mm. it was a night game, um, and you know I've made the trek down. I think Corey Jones has just seen me pop in, and he's he's chipped one over the top to me, and I've gone back and slotted it. All the boys have rubbed me on the head, and you know you, you sort of pop the chest out and run fifty meters, sixty meters down the other end, and. Yeah. Get down there and Jonathan Brown, you know, and his deep voice, you know, he's like just just quietly tells me that if I ever run off and again and kick a goal, he's going to smack me. So I <laughs> stayed there for the rest of the night, arm across, uh, yeah. doing what I was told. Was he was he the the most slippy opponent? You probably had a few of them, didn't you? Uh, I had a few. Favola used to give a fair bit of lip. Yeah, um, he was always good fun listening to him, but. Yeah, I always tried to stay pretty quiet out there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was not to poke the bear um, with these good boards. So just, just uh, try and stay under the radar, and mm-hmm. um, you know, try and put them off their game that way. Mm-hmm. Um, Eleven games in season one, I think, and and you were very impressive. You start to become part of the best twenty-two. Uh, the following season, you're making a name for yourself, but then you slip over in, in the bathroom, knock your head, and and your career is nearly over. Uh, can you tell me about that? Yeah, so we were coming back uh, on the red eye. Um, we did go out and have a couple of beers, but I promise you it was just, it was literally two beers. Yeah. Um, and, excuse me, and um, had recovery in the morning. And I, um, you know, I, I hardly remembered the, the incident. I went to recovery um, and, you know, I remember Daniel Pratt saying, like, mate, how can you be so drunk? We hardly had anything. And <laughs> yeah. Walking in the water and I could hardly keep up with the boys. Like, I was yeah, yeah. at the back of them and we actually were going out for breakfast before recovery in the morning and I just had to sit in Pratty's car while they all ate because I just felt shit out. Mm. Um, so I went through all that, got home. I was living in Port Melbourne, just opposite the boots there and um, just nonstop spewing all day and bile and, you know, it was just full on and, Went to training for the game review and 
couldn't keep up and we were running a lap and I remember we were in partners doing this punching drill and Aaron Edmonds having a punch in the stomach and I was just like, mate, stop it, I can't deal with it. And, you know, I just had shocking, could hardly open my eyes and then kept going on and the doctor suggested I go to the Epworth and drove myself to the hospital, literally parked the car in the middle of Swan Street, thought I was in a car park spot, um, parked it like right on the tram lines in Swan Street and walked in and... And uh, found out that, you know, after looking at me that I had severe bleeding on the brain. So I got rushed straight up and was pretty full on. Um, you know, it's, it's like that boxer's injury when you're sort of knocked out because I'd, I'd fainted and hit my head on the sink. And then um, when your head hits the ground, it's that shaking of the brain. Um, yes. A lot of bleeding on the brain around the front half. Um, so, yeah, it was touch and go there to see whether you'd, you'd play footy again, how you're going to recover from that sort of injury. Yeah, bloody hell. And you, and you ended up playing again that season or something. Like, how was the recovery? Because you, had to, I think you said you had to do like these puzzles and these math things and these tests to, to, to try and see if you were right to get back on track. How was the recovery? Yeah, it was it was interesting. The first four weeks, um, back at mum and dad's, wasn't allowed to drive a car. You know, I had to do make sure I didn't do anything that was going to uh you know, have a rush of blood to my head. So things like your diet, they're like, we don't want you to be constipated. We don't want anything where you're going to be pushing and forcing blood to run to your head. Um, so it was pretty much sitting around for the first four weeks, seeing how that was going to go and saw, you know, that those those blood spots started to um, improve. But from there, there was doing, you know, I was going and seeing this guy that was was doing puzzles and, and mathematical equations and stuff and, and, you know, he'd be asking me to do these things that were for preschoolers and, you know, I could hardly do them. You know, he'd ask me, right, I'm going to give you a letter. The letter's A. I want you to name as many words as you can that start with the letter A. You're not allowed to use names. Say names. And the first thing I'd be like, Adam, Ashley, you know, like they're just like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was, that were the things where you sort of, and that's like that whole, I guess, like concussion where you think you're okay. And I felt like I was better then, but when I was having to do these these um, mathematical puzzles or equations or memory tests. That's where I really struggled. You just had to keep going um, till got to a level where they were acceptable and, and that's when I finally got ticked off to play again, which was I think it was one week before the finals. Yeah, well, yeah you played again and then midway through 2009, I think Ben Laidley leaves the club. You speak to Hawthorne and, and you have a meeting with Clarko. Was was it the meeting that Clarko that swayed you and you said, yeah, this is where I want to be? How immediate was it um, after that talk that you knew you wanted to go to Hawthorne? Yeah, I, I definitely after the talk with Clarko, that, that was a, a meeting with um, him and I had a second meeting with Jason Dunstall and I think Hodgie and Mitch were there. Um, and, yeah, after meeting with them, those couple of times I knew this was that was where I wanted to be. They really saw me and valued me as a defender. Um, you know, like they'd like some of the work I'd done on Buddy. They were in a unique uh, position. Obviously, Crody had been amazing for them, but he smashed his ankle in that 08 grand final. Um, so 09, he didn't play. And so I, I met with them at the end of 09, as you mentioned. And, and it just weighed up, you know, lately had left. Um, I was playing in the midfield as a tagger. I felt my best football was down back. I think North thought that their, you know, their plan moving forward was going to be the Lockie Hansons, um, Scotty Thompson, Nathan Grimer type of scenario. Yep. Um, so yeah, it was. Um, I was really comfortable with the decision and and thought that you know, footy wise, it's going to be the best for for me to um, to play the position that I think that I can give the most to the team 
I'm playing that role. Are you going to a club that's obviously got strong leaders there, big personalities as well? I always wonder, you know, the conversations that happen between the leaders at the club, um, sometimes they're, you know, very strong and direct because that's that's who they are. It was a very different to North. Like, could you tell a difference from the leaders at North to Hawthorne in the way they communicated or discussed issues and that sort of thing? It's probably different. When I was at North Melbourne, I really felt like a younger player. Um, you had the Adam Simpsons. While I was there, Sav Rocket, Shannon Grants, you know, the list goes on, Lee Colbert's, um, Corey McKernan's. So I felt like a lot younger player. Um, I guess, you know, towards the end probably I was a bit older, but when moving across to Hawthorne and and I guess when a a team, you know, trades for you um, and gives up early picks, you do come in feeling a bit more senior. And I think if you also look at the age group of, of that leadership group at Hawthorne, you know, Hodgie Mitchell, um, they're all my age, Brad Sewell, yep. all those guys are in that group. Then, you know, as time went on, you had Louis Ruffy, um, they're all below me. So I think, you know, coming over at the age I was at 26, um, you're, you know, apart from Michael Osborne, um, and I'm sure there are a couple of others, you know, it's oh, Chance, Chance Bateman, stuff like that. But it, it was a younger group. Um, so, you know, you, you probably thrust into a more senior role um, straight away. And, you know, definitely there I, I spent more to, obviously was in the leadership group there for a long time. But, um, yeah, I think really learnt my leadership crafts, I guess. Um, well, I would have learnt them at Hawthorne through, I mean, North Melbourne, sorry, through some of those gigs, but really they excelled at, at North um, and they excelled, sorry, at Hawthorne, um, being around those guys that were, were the leaders of that club and, and in my age bracket. Yeah. That first year at Hawthorne, not everything went smoothly. I mean, I think there was that uh, the weekend, I think it was a Grand Prix weekend on the Sunday and you went out all night and you came to the club. The physio said, oh, God, mate, you need a chewy. You still smell like alcohol. And then the next week you tore your hammy. Um, you got pulled over for speeding as well, I think, all in that uh, that same period. And Clarko kind of told you, you either fit in or you F off. How scary was that? Yeah, look, it was, <laughs> you've got it pretty close. I am. Um, okay. I got done for speeding earlier um, okay. in pre-season. I was on a day off actually getting in to see the physio. I was uh, I was really worried about being late for my appointment. I was like, five minutes, going to be five minutes late. I was speeding. They caught me. They were filming highway patrol. So I get <laughs> the cameras off. So that was an ordeal in itself. And, yeah. and uh, they literally said, you know, you're going to lose your license for a few months of being too far over the limit. Yep. Um, and I think they said it's... It, the paperwork says it's going to be in February, but you got your license till March anyway. So that date sort of came around the week after that hand. Uh, so okay. I was in the paper. They thought I was driving without a license, but I actually wasn't. Yeah. Um, of course, the Herald Sun never apologised. <laughs> but, so, but it was. It, it was, um, you know, all things happen in threes and we're allowed to go to the Grand Prix on the Sunday. Uh, I took it a bit too far. Uh, got caught out late at night. Uh, with a couple of people, um, went into the club. I mean, I thought I got away with it. The Herald Sun were like, we know what he was up to. He's thinking to write an article. Jeff Kent, the club were pretty disappointed. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, look, the best thing is they're not going to suspend me from playing. And, you know, it was it was that Easter Monday game we had. So I was like, next week's week, we're going to go and play the doggies or whatever. It was, yeah, it was the doggies that, that Eddie had. You know, he just played footy and earned their trust back that way. And in the first quarter, Pig Mahami, um, mm-hmm. playing on Barry Hall, 
which is quite a serious one that, that you know required surgery, uh, that tendon surgery. So um, it was a bit of a down time, and uh, Clarko did give me the old the old fit in or f off um, in uh, in the theatre room in front of the group, but. Oh, in front of the group as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that was uh, that was in front of the playing group. That wasn't, that wasn't behind closed doors. Everyone. <laughs> so I was actually talking to Taylor Dray about it the other day. He laughs. Yeah. He says it was the thing that moulded him. Seeing how serious the footy club was, it was just yeah. Yeah, so. Like to think the fact, like the fact that it sort of uh, had a lasting impression on some of these blokes, but definitely had a lasting impression on me because I, I think I was pretty good after that, and um, yeah, I focused on the fit in and and not the f off, and uh, you know, all's well ends well. That's right. You did fit in, mate, remarkably. I mean, you're playing four grand finals in a row. Uh, you win the three-peat. Um, your best and fairest in 2013 and 15. So you obviously know that puts you with Lee Matthews and Jason Dunstall um, to have won uh, best and fairest twice in premiership years, more than once. That It's unbelievable what you've been able to do. What's the secret of performing on the big stage, mate? We'll be back after a quick break. think having this conversation with you and you know you spoke about the four grand finals and and to get the three peak um that probably allows you to have the conversations and enjoy the individual awards um you know being able to win three grand finals is, is well, winning a grand final is what you play for so you know post-career looking back and and seeing some of the individual accolades that you you mentioned you can enjoy more knowing that you had the team success um and ultimately, those those awards, um, best and fair, especially uh, the position I play in. Um, you know, you heavily rely on on team members, and and defenders don't win best and fairest um, without the team playing well. And and you know, it comes down to the, the guys down back with me. You know, we're a team within a team. Um, midfields, forwards, putting pressure on the ball um, to allow me to to do my work down back. So. Um, yeah, look, there's no doubting I had, you know, uh, pretty consistent years in those times, but the, the playing group helped me, um, I guess, to answer your question about playing on the big stage. I really prided myself on, on playing the best forwards. Um, you know, I remember Adam Simpson used to laugh when I used to walk around North Melbourne and ask people if they wanted tickets to the Buddy and Gibb show this weekend. <laughs> because, I, you know, I, I wanted to play on the best forwards. Yeah from early stages at North, you know, playing on the Favolas, Jonathan Browns, um, and, you know, Michael Frieda and I were leading the reverse Coleman there at multiple stages because we were so out of our depth. Um, but you know the reverse Coleman is, don't you? What, the most goals kicked on you. Most goals kicked on you, yeah. yeah. So we were one to two one year. Um, <laughs> but, no, I, I love playing on the best. Um, if, you want, if you want to be the best, you've got to beat the best. Yeah. And, um, I think that's probably what... 
um, held me in good stead for, for big matches. Um, and I always trained at a super high intensity. It was probably the, the detriment in the end and, and why my body probably ran out a little bit earlier because I always felt that if I trained at 100%, um, I didn't have to flick a switch come game day because that was what I was used to. So, um, you know, I might have finished up a little bit earlier, but it definitely allowed me to get the best out of myself and, and perform when it mattered. It doesn't seem like you ever got nervous. That's that's incredible confidence. Did you get nervous before games, or were you just confident? Oh, no, you get you get nervous. Um, I think it's just about um, you know understanding that you're going to have those feelings and um, and embracing them mm-hmm. and accepting them. You know, if you just try to put a wall up and, and fight against them, then they're going to they're going to end up knocking that wall down. But if you sort of take those feelings on and and then have a plan in place. Uh, plan in place to, to rectify them so you know if it's if you're un, I always used to go into games and, and Glenn Archer put this in my head which is probably not a good thing but hmm. he'd always say he'd wake up Sunday he'd have a vision or think about waking up Sunday morning and being on the back page of the paper with his forward kicking six goals on him and dominating and you know I used to before games think about do you want to be that guy in the paper tomorrow who's hmm. had his forward dominate him and you, you can't go out for breakfast because you've been a dis- disgrace. So I almost just put the fear of God in myself, I think. And wow. If you don't want that to happen, well, what do you need to do? And yeah. I went through my checklist of, of what I need to do to play well. So hmm. I'm not sure if it's the best method, but... Uh, yeah, no, well, it motivated you. <laughs> yeah, it motivated you. That's, yeah, so using fear to motivate yourself. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a good technique. I was talking to a few past players and they said that, like, game day was their least favorite they didn't like it they enjoyed just training and then game day just something they had to do but what you're saying i got like was it that the favorite part like going oh, out there and playing on the best play you could that's your yeah. that was what motivated you 100 um I, I love training and and you know I, I loved all facets of the game when i was playing it but you know playing on the big stage like i wanted to be on the mcg um in those big games um when it mattered um playing your role and, and yeah, you can't, if you, if you want to have success, I, I feel like you have to embrace those moments because um, you can't expect to have success at the top level. Um, you know, like you could still be an AFL player, but there's, you know, you could play for a side that doesn't have success. So I think if you want to, your team to have success and be able to compete at the top on the big stage, you have to be prepared um, for what those feelings are are going to feel like um, and if you shy away from them, then you're, you're probably going to self-sabotage yourself. You're going to probably self-sabotage and stop yourself from, from achieving everything you can to help your team get to those moments. You have a favourite year? Uh, I think definitely 13. Um, uh, you, you know, people always do it, oh, you know, you guys won three in a row, but I don't think they, for us, the process is very different. You know, come to Hawthorne, they win in 08. We lose the first five games of 2010 and, and Clark goes on the brink of getting sacked. Um, pretty bold move, except that he's made mistakes in our change game, made mistakes in our game plan, changes it all around. We make a final that year, first final, elimination final, go out against uh, Frio over there. But come back 2011, great year, uh, make a prelim. Look like we're going to make a grand final. Bud kicks that freak goal from the pocket. Um, ball comes down our end. Luke Ball has never kicked further than 20 metres in his life, bangs one from 40, um, and we lose, you know, and, and you've gone from 
you know, I'm not going to lie, I had moments in that last quarter I was like, shit, we're going to play in the grand final um, to to missing out. And I think we might have been close to minor premiers that year. Um, 2012, we are minor premiers, do everything right, get to grand final day, win every stat except for the one that matters, scoreboard lose again and, and especially from someone in my position you you start questioning you know are these boys prepared you know to go to the well again they've won one in 2008 they've had two two close years 11 and 12 is it just like well that's you know that's our run we've, we've won ours or are they going to dig deep again and then to go and do what we did in 13 and and finally cap it off um you know that was the one that, that meant the most and and the moment that that siren goes and, and you know, you're a premiership winner, it just, um, it's just, you know, it puts into perspective all the sacrifices you've made and hiring fitness coaches and not going to 21st birthdays and missing friends' weddings and all these type of things um, to give yourself the best opportunity to compete um, and give yourself the best opportunity to get to the big stage and win one. So, yeah, 2013's the... Uh, if I have to choose one, which is a tough thing to do, I think the story behind that one's probably the most impressive for me. Yeah, yeah no, I, I love it. Hey, if you could sum it up, I know it's, it's very difficult, but if someone asks you the straight, the straight question, why was Hawthorne so successful over that period? What what was it for you? Um, I think we're really, uh, don't get me wrong, we had great coaching staff, but we had a very, very strong belief and drive and motivation within the playing group, which is so important. Clark always used to mention to us as leaders that he's only got so many sprays in him that he can give to the group before they start losing um, their polish and the group not re- you know, reacting to them. Um, we, were, we drove ourselves um, from a playing perspective. We, ex- we really um, expected, we had high expectations on what we expected from one another. Um, and we just had we had legitimately good players across the field. Um, we had role players um, in every aspect, and we had guys that were willing to do sacrificial things to get their team there. And um, you know, it's it's so cheesy, but you know, people talk about the team of champions versus champion team. Well, we were a champion team. You know, there's the, you know, I always think back of blokes like Bradley Hill and sacrificial running that he would do to create space through the middle to have good ball users get it or the forward pressure or, you know, for big forwards bringing the ball to ground and the pressure that the Piopolos and these guys that were put on that, you know, Poppy was another bloke that was overlooked. Um, so we had those type of goals, guys throughout the field, Ben Stratton's, David Hales, um, that all just played roles and, and played to the best of their ability to our system. Um, and everyone was willing to just play to the system and not play as an individual. And, and that's how you have team success. Mm-hmm. And j- just on that, can you give me your thoughts on the current situation and the coaching situation at Hawthorne? Um, when you look at that with Clarko and Sam Mitchell, um, what were your thoughts when the, when this all came out in the uh, in the media? And I know now you're separated from the, from the media, not involved in the club. So you can give me your honest opinion. I'd, li- I'd like to hear from someone who knows more than most. Yeah, look, you've got two very strong individuals there in Sam Mitchell and Alistair Clarkson, uh, very strong-minded people. I think it was a, probably a unique uh, and unfortunate position that the club was put in, where. The likes of Collingwood, I'm, I'm guessing, were probably chasing Mitch very hard. Um, 
and which has probably come to the Hawks. And as I said, I don't know 100%. Um, and said, well, do you want me or not? And um, no doubt Hawthorne wanted him. Um, probably didn't want to have to make the call at that stage. Um, but, you know, Mitch wanted um, reassurance for himself um, and one of them, you know, he wants to be a head coach. Um, that was the position that was put upon. And and they probably thought uh, that they could do, you know, the, the year left on Clarko's contract and have them side by side. And um, no doubt that, if, if you're a Sam Mitchell, um, you know that you're going to be the coach of this club in a year's time. There's things you want to be putting in place now. You don't want to be waiting uh, 12 months till you're actually handed the keys to the city uh, to take over then. He wants the things to be going one way. And I'm sure that Clarko wanted to finish off coaching his way. Um, and, you know, there's no – I'm so sure that there was no mediations and all that type of stuff that was put forward and said that – you know, there was no respect between the two. I just think that's all crap. Um, Clarko is the type of bloke that always has our best interest at heart. Um, that's why I played so well because I love playing for him and I have no doubt he wants to see Mitch succeed. But Clarko, um, he's a very strong coach. Um, he's very good at what he does. You can't have the career he's had without having that type of mentality and, you know, it would be very hard for Clarko um, the way that he's you know, his brain works and the way that he's been created to to be a coach but not be the coach, be the official coach but having to also be an assistant. Um, I just think it was a weird situation. So, yeah, it was just unfortunate, I think, of the way it played out but I don't think there was any malice there from either parties. It was um, it was just what needed to be done um, in order for Mitch not to go to another team. Mm. And you were close to, to both of those boys. I think both of them had something in common. They said that you were one of the most competitive people on the list. I think Sam Mitchell actually said you were the most competitive on the Hawthorne list. And when you, you hear them give that praise, I mean, there was a lot of competitors on your list, but you were classified as the most competitive. How does that make you feel? No, it's it's something that I appreciate. And, um, you know, that was how I, I went about my training. And I mentioned about how hard I trained, but I always wanted to be the best at training. Forwards probably hated it at times because, you know, they don't want you training super hard and punching their hands when you're going for spoils and all that. But I was just trained the way you play. As I said, I felt like you didn't have to flick a switch. I like to think I'm not competitive all the time, but I am. Um, it's just my nature. Uh, my partner, Ash, probably hates it. But that was my, that was my secret to success, I guess, is is my ability to be competitive and, and um you know, it's when you get drafted into this footy world and, and you know, everyone that gets drafted is talented, but I guess it's what you do outside your talent that really defies whether you'll have a career or not. Um, and, you know, I identified pretty early that um, for me, not being the most gifted or as gifted as others in, in certain areas of the game that, you know, I, I had to focus on my one woods, which was, you know, obviously my ability to spoil and read the play and um, and being competitive. And, and if I wanted to stay around, then, then they were the things, you know, my mantra that I had to hang my hat on every day um, or I won't be here for too long. Your favourite game, one of my favourite of yours was uh, 2016, um, yeah, win against West Coast. Yeah. He kicked the had 44 <laughs> touches, mate. Was that your favourite game to play in? Yeah, look, obviously, let's take the grand finals out of it. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, yeah, there's there's sometimes just when you're doing something and everything goes right. And, and again, I just I love playing on the MCG. It was a grand final rematch, um, you know, 
I just we really wanted to show them up again. Um, great two big forwards in that side in, in Kennedy and Darling. But everything just went right for me that day. I remember walking over to the to the huddle at quarter time and thinking, shit, you know, I've been in the play a fair bit this first quarter. And it was something like I'd had 15 or 17 touches at quarter time. And I was just like, shit, <laughs> it's going to be on. And, and it was one of those ones where even when I was spare, somehow the ball got kicked to me and it just, you know, I had a magnet on it. And uh, as you know, I only, only kicked five goals for my whole career to uh, North Melbourne. And um, and 2016 was my first goal for Hawthorne. So to uh, finally get forward um, and kick on, and, you know, it's funny, someone sent it to me the other day and, and uh, Hamish McLaughlin, good man, he, uh, he calls that one pretty well at the end. So um, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Yeah, and that's definitely... Uh, that that'd be one of the the highlight games of my career, without a doubt. Got forty four good reasons why. Exactly right, Joshy. What's the future hold for you, mate? What do you want to be doing? You've obviously been on the, I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out yeah. of Here, Celebrity Apprentice. You're in the media, but you like developing people and motivating. Is it coaching? What are you getting into in the future? Uh, look, I'm playing footy down here in Ballarat and it's it's more just to give back to the game. Um, you know, very lucky that I was to have the career I had and I feel you have to give back at some stage. And, and after having a few years off, I think this is my way. My body's not so sure about me uh, making this decision because it's struggling, but I'm doing that. Um, you know, really now the focus for me is in this hat I've got on in here, the, our family business, Foresight, um, and Osteoristoli, making an osteoarthritic treatment for horses and dogs and now humans, mm-hmm. uh, which I've really sunk my teeth into. It aligns myself with all the, the horse sports I do, living on a farm, and, and you know, that's that's the path now. So mm-hmm. loving this, um, between this and Revel, that's me now. Um, media's not really for me. I had a, had a try at that. Um, you know, I'm, I I don't love it. Um, I've, I, yeah, it's not for me. Um, I t- take my hat off to the boys that do it. You know, I, I hardly watch footy anymore, to be honest. I'm really bad. Um, but, yeah, I enjoy my horse stuff um, and, and living out of the city. So, well, as you said, little one on the way, little fella on the way um, in a month's time. So I'm sure that'll take up my time as you're going to experience pretty soon as well, mate. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Well, hopefully the Hawthorne supporters will be watching and uh, hoping another Hawthorne champion. They're pretty uh, happy they've got, you know, I think this year Bud's having a uh, a little boy. Yeah. Um, oh, Bud's had a little boy, sorry. We actually got a little one on the way. A new generation, hey? I am. I think Jordan Lewis and Lucy, they're, they're expecting another child. I don't know if it's a boy or girl. So, uh, look, there could be, uh, we could be all getting back together soon. Hopefully. <laughs> um, being on the other side of the fence, which would be that's, nice. That's it. Perfect. All right, just to end off, Josh, I've got 10 quick questions for you, mate. The first thing yep. that comes to your head. All right? Go Here for it. Go. What's your favourite food? Oh, favourite food. I just I love chaga and calamari. It's my Ooh. thing. Yeah, me too. I like that. Your favourite movie? Well, I'm, I'm a Denzel Washington man, mate. So Man on Fire, I think, is my favourite movie. Very good. Your favourite teammate of all time? Oh, Jesus. Got a big one. Probably Jordan Lewis. Jordan Lewis. Good man, Jordan Lewis. Uh, what is your favourite quote? Um, hard work beats talent when talent doesn't want to work hard. Yes, love that one. Who is your idol? My idol? 
Very tough. I think playing while I was playing, Glen Archer was my idol. Um, and then now probably my idols are, are people that, that compete in camp drafting uh, that you won't ever know. So <laughs> I don't move all the time. That's uh, good. Uh, what makes you angry? Uh, mediocre efforts. <laughs> <laughs> in general, from anyone. Yeah, yeah? in general. Not being at all. If you could live anywhere in the world, where would it be? I'm pretty, uh, I'm pretty happy where we are. I think we're very, even though it's been a bit tough, but I think Australia is a great country to live in. Um, but I'll always be out of the city. Wherever I am, I need to be on land. Very nice. Uh, what was the best ever sledge you received? From a player or a fan, anything? I don't know about that one. No? I didn't get sledge much by players. I was, uh, I must have, they must have liked it. You're a nice I, guy. That's a nice guy. I don't know. I remember once I was walking and a, a fan just told me to start running and I was like, shit, he's right. I better start running. And I, remember, <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I don't know, mate. I'm sorry. No, that's all right. Did you hear much from over the fence? Did, did uh, you hear or was it? A- definitely. I'd always have the Hawthorne cheer squad telling me uh, how much long was uh, to go in court. Oh, yeah. not listening to it on the radio but yeah I didn't listen too much try not to Uh, what is your biggest fear Uh, biggest fear is just just failing whatever I'm I'm set out to do you know whatever I'm doing I'm I'm doing it to win so not achieving the level that I want to get to in something is the biggest failure yeah last one what is your favourite song Favourite song, um, it'll be a little Wayne song that, that <laughs> I always used to jack around. It's called Hell Yeah, Effing Yeah. So it's, it's about lyrics in it, but bring <laughs> some fond memories of the season footy trips. So, yeah. All right, they'll be playing over the top and there'll be heaps of senses as well. <laughs> hey, Josh, absolute pleasure to chat to you today, mate. I can't thank you enough. Uh, I admired you on the field. I've admired you often. It, and um, you're, you're a star, mate. So thank you so much. For Thanks, Jamie. Appreciate it, mate. Uh, anytime. Thanks, mate. And I say, hell yeah, hell yeah, hell yeah. You're right, you're right, all right. And we say, hell yeah. Number six, hell yeah, Josh hell yeah, Gibson. Yeah.